comes, it's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Welcome to episode 32 of Nashville Untold, and thank you for tuning in. Today in The Rambler, I'll be hosting Beth English. We could make excuses all day long about why we're not going to do things. Mm -hmm. And if your past is one of those excuses, then, I mean, that's your choice, ultimately. And you don't necessarily have to um, let these excuses become the reason that stands between you and your next level, or you and the gifts that you've been given and seeing them flourish. Yeah. So it really, you really have to take a hard look at yourself and mm-hmm. say, okay, when I'm going to be out of excuses, what's next? Beth has a mission to inspire creators to rediscover their creative edge. She shares stories about her life as an artist, energizing people to follow through with their vision. As a rising powerhouse in the Nashville community, Beth inspires thousands every day. She has worked diligently to expand awareness of the Nashville creative scene to a national and global audience and has helped to bring about a renaissance period in the local creative community. Beth speaks about creativity to artists, entrepreneurs, writers, designers, and makers using her insights and experience to make an incredible impact in the lives of others. I know this interview will not disappoint. Beth shared a lot about her experience, her story, how she started the uh, Nashville Creative Group, how she has overcome many obstacles in her life, and how through community, it has made a huge impact in her life. The nonprofit of the month is a Door to Hope Community Care Fellowship and Safe Haven Homeless Shelter. Door to Hope is a nonprofit based in Nashville, but plugged in Haiti. Community Care Fellowship and Safe Haven are doing a lot of great things around Nashville, so make sure to check them out. And now, without further ado, here is the conversation and interview with Beth. Hello, Nashville. Today I'm sitting down with Beth English, and we are hanging out at the Titan Stadium across from uh, the nice skyline view. Um, yeehaw. Yeehaw. We're going to go and hit the town afterwards, maybe. We can cruise around the camper. <laughs> um, anyway, so Beth, she is the founder of Nashville Creative Group, an online and offline community of creative and culture enthusiasts local to Nashville and Middle Tennessee. Beth's mission is to inspire creators to rediscover their creative edge. She shares stories about her life as an artist and energizing people to follow through with their vision. She's a speaker and an artist. And what would you like to add to that? Just kind of what you got else going on? I mean, that's like my entire life. Um, Just uh, trying to encourage people to believe that the gifts that they have matter and that the desires in their heart that come up that they don't necessarily know how to direct um, are meaningful and they should be listening to that Mm -hmm. and following through with what their intuition is sort of leading them towards. Yeah. Yeah. We had an interesting um, conversation last night and it was about it kind of on gifts, but it was like, there's five different categories and how kind of your personality is. And we were going around and 
kind of asking to, to you know, how, what category do you think you fall in? And so, and then also there's usually a fear that comes with that category. But the interesting thing was thinking about it, I'm like, it's a hard question to answer because you really got to be transparent with yourself because like we have a gift or a calling, but yet we have so many obstacles in our life prior to like where we are today that that could tend to, you know, suppress that gift. You know what I'm saying? Does that kind of make sense? But are you going to let it? No, I'm not, but many people Well, not do. necessarily you, but I mean, <laughs> right, just in right. general, yes, we could make excuses all day long about why we're not going to do things. Mm-hmm. And if your past is one of those excuses, then, I mean, that's your choice, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. But and it, you don't necessarily have to um, let these excuses um, become the reason that stands between you and your next level, or you and the gifts that you've been given and seeing them flourish. Yeah. So it really, you really have to take a hard look at yourself and mm-hmm. say, okay, when I'm going to be out of excuses, what's next? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, we'll dive much in, more into that later. So let's start from the beginning. When you were three months old, what were you into? I'm kidding. You wouldn't remember three months old. Um, but How do you know that? Well, you wouldn't. I don't think you I could. I could have a flashback like right here, right <laughs> well, here, you, right now. You could have seen some videos, I guess, of three, and you could have known what you were into, right? All right. Well, we'll, we'll just say your childhood years. Um, what were some strong influences that took you into your teen years? During like your child- people? No, but people, or life, things? influences, family. Oh, my childhood is a blur. <laughs> And I kind of like to keep it that way. Okay. But things that I remember that I loved about growing up was being outside. That's sort of like my happy place. And so I built a treehouse with my brother and we used to climb up there together. And that was fun. I love building fires. So I would build fires in the backyard. I was always in the yard, Mm. just playing around, getting dirty, Mm. playing in the dirt, playing in the grass, picking flowers. You name it, mm-hmm. I was outside. You like and then nature. my mom would be like yelling at all us kids to come inside for dinner. And that was every day after school was outside playing in mm-hmm. the backyard. And interesting to think now it's get off the phone, turn off the TV, come eat, you know, versus, hey, where are y'all at down the neighborhood? You know, <laughs> I was always riding my bike. Now, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Port Arthur, Texas, okay. which is on the Gulf Coast. So there was a lot of marsh, a lot of water. There was the beach not too far away. Um, so I'd go to the beach a lot. And um, it's in East Texas. And so we'd you know, drive up to the Piney Woods and camp. So I did a lot of camping growing up. Cool. So you do need one of these campers, I right? need this camper. Yeah. Is that close to Galveston? It kind of is. It takes a couple hours to get to Galveston. We have to take a ferry. I mean, it's a big ordeal. If you're going to Galveston, you're going to Galveston. Yeah, you're going over that massive big bridge. I guess they still have it. You remember that? No. That's from Houston. So you don't have to go through Houston to get to Galveston. We go through on the coast Mm -hmm. and then take a ferry across the bay. That's the fastest way for us to get to Galveston. (laughs) Yeah, my dad lived in... Where do you live? I don't know. Anyway, somewhere in Texas. <laughs> so we went to Galveston a few times. <laughs> the shot in um, the dark. <laughs> yeah. Texas is huge. It is, right? <laughs> what are some strong memories that come to mind during your teen years? I was really active in school. I was in like every club that they offered um, because I wanted it to look good on my 
um, college applications. So I was like president of this and treasurer of that. I was always involved in everything going around school, which me like which seems natural now that I'm like involved in mm-hmm. everything going on in the community in Nashville and the arts scene. So yeah, yeah. Actually, even as you say that, I was thinking I'd interview Diane Hayes. And she was talking about just the love of the community was born and raised here. But kind of going back to our first um, conversation, when you're little, you have this bent towards lead or leading and being involved like you are. And then it'd be interesting to look at like our childhood years. And then as life comes a bit and it influences changes. And then do we pull away from our gifts through those experiences and then have to come back to them? You know what I'm saying? I didn't even know what gifts were. When I was little. Yeah, that's true. I just know what I liked. Right. And I know what I was good at. And I know what I wasn't. So I tend to just go gravitate towards, you know, what what became easy and natural. Mm -hmm. Which I think is kind of like what a gift is. Like it should Mm -hmm. feel natural. Mm -hmm. It should feel good. I mean, and to get, you know, to master your gifts, I mean, it can be challenging. But at the end of the day, you wouldn't want it any other way. Mm Mm-hmm. Was there a lot of stress in being that involved in all that you were? Or did you just you love doing it? Um, I don't really ever remember feeling that stressed. I was very active. I had lots to do, um, which was good because Port Arthur, there's not a whole lot going on except going to the Sonic or going mm, to Taco Bell. We all had Sonics. Yeah. And so made Sonic. You know, but in between, I was in the band. I was a dancer. I mean, I was either in the dance studio or at school in the band hall. Mm. And I was always, and if I was at home, I was doing homework. Mm-hmm. And that was it. I didn't really watch a lot of TV. Um, I just enjoyed my activities. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't do anything. I watched TV and I worked from, uh, I actually yeah, 14. I I, yeah. I, that's one thing I desire for our kids when they do get to the age to, hopefully have the freedom to where they don't have to work. Give them responsibility maybe at different times, but not where, and I didn't have to. I just wanted stuff, and so if I wanted anything, I had to pay for it. So. And I don't ever really want anything. It's good. Yeah, you, you know. Just stick me in the woods, I'm happy. See, I liked outside, <laughs> but it was clothes. It was the name brand. I had a good friend that he always had money, so I would think I was oh. trying to keep up with him. Yeah. Well, Port Arthur is um, <laughs> is a lot of poverty, so okay. there was nobody flashing any name brand, anything, mm, really. really. It okay. was like, hey, we don't smell today. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, All right, so now uh, let's take a trip back to Austin. Okay. Um, what, did college, what did the college days look like? They were so much fun. Same, really involved, was in every club. And uh, until I uh, realized that I didn't have to find my happiness through being involved and giving all the time. So I stopped being in so involved in those years and really started looking at what is it that I wanted to do with my time. If I wanted to give myself that gift of time for myself mm-hmm. because it was always about someone else helping someone else. And then it, I turned the focus onto me and I went to, um, the woods some more would go to the lake. I was a scuba diving instructor. So I was always, you know, working on my certifications and mm-hmm. teaching and diving and 
So. So what did it? Was there a moment that you just said, you know what, I'm going to stop saying yes to everything? Or you found a passion in something else that overshadowed other I just other found stuff? myself being really unhappy and not being fulfilled, mm-hmm. not building the kinds of relationships that I was looking for. I wanted more meaning, but I wasn't finding it. I was always just looking for what sort of made me light up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you find yourself in an organization or in a place and you're like, wait a minute, this isn't really doing it for me anymore. Mm-hmm. What is it? Is it the people? Is it the activities? You know, cause I was involved in some like, um, group stuff where we would go to games, where we would have parties. I just sort of lost interest mm-hmm. and had to find new things to do. Yeah. And I would go hiking and Austin's great for the outdoors. Like if you love the outdoors, there's, you can pull off the side of the road and boom, there's a trail. You just never know like where it's going to lead you. And there'd be these awesome little pools and creeks. And when I started discovering the outdoor stuff, yeah. Yeah. Cause you, cause you did it when you were a kid and then you probably were so involved and then you kind of got back to, you brought the kid back out and you kind of Right. Well, when you're having to live on campus and you don't have a car, Mm. you know. Where are you going to go? You can right. take the bus. Right. So that's when I started, you know, I use public transportation most of my time in Austin. Going outside and exploring, that's the best. Yeah. Yeah. So after college, um, is that when you decided to set anchor on Buck Island and St. Croix? Well, I always wanted to just live on the beach and scuba dive, teach scuba diving. So I got certified as a dive instructor while I was in school. So it was like, you know, one period I would be teaching a dive lesson in the swimming center and then I'd go back to business school. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it was kind of fun just because it was like that was my job. And I'd go back to business school with like wet hair and, you know, smelling like chlorine. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then once I graduated, that's all that I cared about was looking for a job somewhere abroad. So I applied all over the world. I eventually moved to the Bahamas and went to Andros Island and then moved to the Virgin Islands to St. Croix. Okay. And I was teaching diving and uh, I didn't like it because the recreational diving is so different than diving education in an educational setting. It's there's a lot more risk. Mm-hmm. People aren't focused. And so when you're in charge of someone's life underwater and you're, you know, 60 feet under and you can't find your 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 group because they're darting off here and there. Wow. Like it's a pan it's panicky, and I didn't like that part of it. Gotcha. I actually quit that job, and I got a job on the sailboat that was like the cool job on the island. That's okay. where everyone that was cool would work. Right, right. And so I worked my way up the ranks because it was um, seniority type system, mm-hmm. and I would make the boat. So how how long were you there? A year. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you decided to come back to the States? Well, I had a, I had a, an accident on the boat where I had a concussion. Mm. And I, like, you know, was knocked out and then came to. And it was really scary because when you're all alone on an island in the middle of nowhere and you're sort of feeling like you need to be around family or you need to feel safe, mm-hmm. it kind of shook me. And that's when I asked myself, what do you want to do with your life? Mm. And I, I was like, I want to be an artist. Mm. And so I started making um, collage. I quit the job like that day. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I just started making art. And I didn't have any materials except for some old magazines. And uh, so 
Mm-hmm. I just uh, went from there and knew that my calling was not happening on the island, okay. that I had to come back to the States. But I didn't want to go back to Austin because I always like to just move forward. And so I went to, uh, came to Nashville. Came to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That, so that was my next question is at what age were you when you picked up your first paintbrush and um, how did that have an impact on you? Well, I probably had painted, you know, in church, like doing crafts, arts and crafts and things like that. But like painting seriously to try to sell work, I didn't mm-hmm. do that until 2007. Okay. So that was like 12 years and ago. And when did you come here? Same year. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I was studying uh, drawing in college. So I started making art for real with uh, graphite on paper first, then collage, and then um, painting with oils, acrylics, mixed media, and uh, I've just been exploring all different types of artistic mediums since then, mm-hmm. writing and uh, music. So, Yeah, that's cool. Um, so if you were to paint a mural that included people that had a huge impact on your life, who would be included in that mural and why? Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> That's a good one. He, he, he somewhat makes impacts in people's lives, doesn't he? Finds a way. Mm-hmm. Won't let you get away. <laughs> <laughs> and who else? Probably my art history teacher in college. He really, his passion for art and artist really is what led me to become an artist because I fell in love with the stories and the lifestyle that they lived because for some reason I connected with it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know why then, but I was fascinated with art history. It was probably like my favorite class I ever took. And his energy and his delivery in the classroom was incredible. And we still keep in touch today. And uh, so it's just amazing how life unfolds because you just don't know when you meet someone how that meeting and that relationship is going to impact you in your, your later life decisions. Yep, yep, so true. Anybody else come to mind? My parents are awesome. They are so loving and just encouraging. And, uh, yeah, they're free spirits, so I'm a free spirit. We just have a lot of fun when we're together. That's cool. Yeah. And you have one brother? I have two older brothers, yeah. Okay. Let's give a shout-out to one of your favorite restaurants and favorite nonprofits, and why. Favorite restaurants. Or restaurant. Restaurant. Well, I know it's hard to narrow it down to one. Well, but. I have to say, I recently went to Far East. Okay. And it knocked my socks off. They just renovated in there and mm-hmm. changed up the menu a little bit, and their pho is amazing. And I love hot bra soups, so I'm really into that. Is that is that on West Nashville? It's in Wood off Woodland yeah, in East, East Nashville. Yeah. What was it you said they have? Far East. Oh, pho. Pho. I've never heard. It's of It's like that. a Vietnamese soup. Okay. With rice noodles and vegetables and beef broth and meats okay. and whatever you want, you can make your own pho. Gotcha. However you like. Pho. It's hmm. a thing. Yeah, I like it. Um, <laughs> nonprofit. Nonprofit. I have to say, Poverty in the Arts. Have you heard of them? I have not. Nicole, who is their founder um, and, you know, executive director, she started it when she was in college at Belmont, and she has taken it to um, amazing levels as far as 
over the last 10 years is watching them evolve and they do some incredible stuff and really help people heal using arts, which I'm all about that. Like I completely 100% believe that if you need healing in your life, if you just pick up a pen and write, pick up a paintbrush and paint or, you know, get on, uh, get a musical instrument and just play mm -hmm. music, like it will make you better. Mm-hmm. And so she does, she helps people get out of homelessness yeah. by teaching them, you know, how to be an artist, how to sell their work. And um, she's helped a lot of people. That's cool. Now, does she incorporate local artists and musicians into the process they of helping? They do so much collaboration, mm -hmm. um, so much collaboration. And uh, they're doing, they have a great year ahead. I mean, just been seeing all the things they've got going on. So mm -hmm. um, I would recommend that anyone who wants, you know, to help out, you know, people heal and get out of homelessness. So like, if that's your passion, like get involved with this organization, volunteer with them, um, go to their events. Um, they are active on the art crawls yeah. and, um, they have events all the time and they just recently partnered with lightning 100 and they've just been doing all kinds of cool stuff and they're redoing the bus stops and they're painting murals. Okay. And I mean, they're really making a huge impact in the community. Cool. I'll have to check them out. Yeah. yeah. There's so many great ones. Poverty in the arts. Okay. So uh, talk to me some about why you created the Nashville Creative Group. I have to say I was lonely. I needed friends. Mm -hmm. I knew a bunch of artists and we were hanging out and stuff during events, but we weren't really talking about art um, beyond just like an art show. Mm -hmm. And so this was a, a chance for us to come together and just sit and be and talk about what was going on on within us, like in our hearts and mm -hmm. in our minds and spirits. And yeah. so we started doing that and it was great because it was something you could tell everyone was needing. They're needing some kind of like connection, some kind of outlet that they weren't getting. It just kept growing and growing and growing. And now, you know, six and a half years later, we have over 8,000 members and people's lives have changed like over six and a half years i have seen the impact of community mm -hmm. on these artists mm -hmm. and it is just amazing so kind of speaking to yourself because um, you hit on actually some of the words in my next question um, so tell me about the importance of community and how it has made such an impact in your life well the thing is we're designed to connect mm -hmm. all people are designed to connect and to create mm -hmm. and we want to belong and artists i think can sometimes feel the most isolated because even in school we're not artists really aren't encouraged in the classroom not that type of learning style not that type of personality right most of us have felt this disconnect in our entire life mm -hmm. and all we want to do is be around people who are like us who we feel safe around who we feel like understand the way our mind works and the things that we're into mm -hmm. and so community is a place where we can come together and belong it's a place where we can come and feel safe being truly 100 percent authentic to who we are and when you can give someone that kind of space, then they are able to grow. Mm -hmm. So, and with, as it's grown, you know, cause starting out being the small community, 
obviously more people more transparent vulnerable in that setting so as it gets bigger sometimes you can lose some of that like what do y'all do to kind of keep that smallness there well you know the mean? group online is over eight thousand okay. people and every post is unique to the individual who posts it and to the people who comment on it. So every post is an opportunity for people to connect in sort of a small group. Mm -hmm. Now we host monthly events. And so that's also a chance for us to come together in a smaller group. Mm -hmm. Now the event that you attended was our biggest event ever. There's probably over a hundred people there. That was a whole different thing that's out of the norm normally we're between 40 30 40 people Mm -hmm. in a room and we're sharing personal stories we're sharing our work and we have time to connect before and after individually it gives a lot of space for that and plus when you're part of the group you start to meet artists you start to um, get an awareness of what's happening in the larger scene of the arts community and when you go to art shows or you attend other events it's very likely that you're going to see people there that you know right and then you can connect and then you can connect there more right so it's one of those organizations where your relationships build slowly over Mm -hmm. time with other artists and you start to see the same faces everywhere you go. And Mm -hmm. then you really do feel like you're part of a community and, and remind the audience like, so the group kind of consists of musicians and artists or it started with painters. Okay. And then from there it's uh, extended to there's musicians, songwriters, storytellers, poets, um, comedians, um, dancers, every type of creative modality. And it's interesting because as you were talking about, you know, the, the arts really aren't, as you were growing up, aren't as supported in school. And yet we have so many, they have so many ways to measure, you know, the grades and stuff. But it's interesting to think, it's like, how do you measure artist? You know what I mean? Like, because you're more creative and it's hard to have a skill of, of encouraging that. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that, you know, schools are designed to for fat, you know, to create factory workers. Mm-hmm. And we're not in an industrial economy anymore. We're a service economy, mm-hmm. which requires people to be more personable, um, have more abilities to connect, um, to communicate. And the arts are a great way to help people thrive in that. That's why creativity is one of the number one um, skills that you know, companies are looking for and the people that they hire. Mm -hmm. And then scientists, of course, want to say, where does creativity come from? Let's measure this in a lab. And I don't necessarily think that's the right way to go about thinking about creativity. Um, I think we're all born creative. We just um, tell ourselves that we're not because we can't draw a realism photo. Right. Right. And um, that's not creativity. Right. It's a skill. Yeah that you have to master if you want to be a realism painter or illustrator, right? Mm-hmm. When I teach workshops, people say, I can't draw a stick figure. I'm like, well, great, because we're not drawing stick figures today. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because whenever I always wanted to design cars, love cars, and I, I would in class, I would just draw cars, draw sports cars, you know. But I was never serious in college, so engineering was the degree kind of to go to mm-hmm. do that. and. Um, so I went through the business route, uh, but it's interesting cause just thinking about that, like I was, once I was working, it was having to make money and this and that, and I kind of lost that creative. And I think that's one of the things that even in real estate, I mean, you can get creative in any job. Um, but I love 
doing this because this, I, I talked to, I know somebody that's just, oh, they're so disciplined. They're killing it in real estate. And I'm like, for a minute, I'm like, man, I wish I could be that disciplined. But then I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'd want to be that disciplined. Like yeah. I want to incorporate some creativity in what I'm doing, you know? And it's even interesting to think about college because, you know, if the schools are focusing on teaching in an industrial type setting, right? How about colleges? And then the debt that people are coming out of college. And now you fast forward to how many people are involved in community, in coaching, in speaking. And I've learned more in the last two or three years being a part of that than I learned anything in college besides networking and fun, you know, so it'd be interesting to see how that keeps evolving. If yeah. colleges, you I'm, know, mm -hmm. well, I think the, the one thing that I learned from business school, because the kind of business school I was going to, I was being groomed to be a corporate executive and I didn't like it. And so I, um, I think, well, what did I, what did I learn? What can I take away? That's positive. Mm -hmm. And I learned that I, um, how to be a professional, mm -hmm. how to carry myself, how to communicate, how to write. I mean, I was terrible at writing in English, but man, in business writing, I killed it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what the difference was in me as a person, but for some reason, I just was able to do that so, um, so much more eloquently. Mm -hmm. And um, then I was able to write like a fiction. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And of course, as I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I just stereotyped a lot of schools and colleges. So we know that that's not everybody, but um, obviously there are some general, general, generalities. Yeah. You mean like the types of majors that people Yeah, had? you know, yeah, just stuff like that or even in school. Because, you know, I think of some of our boys' teachers and, you know, some of the stuff they're encouraging, like just with reading and, you know, different things like that. Um, obviously, there is a variation, you know, to add to that. All right, so what is the key to finding the balance between creating artwork that expresses who you are or what you love versus creating art that people will buy? Well, I don't make art for people to buy. Like, that's not how I approach mm -hmm. the work that I create because that is a road to really hating your life. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to put the time and energy to like be an artist, to build your business, you ought to like it, right? Right. Because otherwise you can just save yourself a whole lot of time and just go work a job that you sort of okay like, right? Right. And I can speak from experience because I used to make art thinking, how do I market this? How do I sell this? How do I make this something that someone's going to buy? And then give it a story and still give it meaning. I did that for seven years and I just stopped cold turkey. I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm not even going to try. You know, I'm going to rethink this whole thing because I was making art full time and I didn't like it. I just, it just, I would just cry. Like, I don't like this. What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And, and I rethought through it and I thought, how can I be expressive? How can I share my story in a way that relates to the artwork that I'm making? And how can I use the work that I'm making to um, provoke conversations that are meaningful to me? And so that's what I did. I like that. Yeah. Uh, provoke the conversations. That's neat. Um, yeah. And, I, and I've, as I've interviewed musicians, you know, you, 
I'm sure everybody bumps up against that. You know, it's like, oh, I got to make money. I got to make money. But it's like, I'm losing myself into the money, you know, and you got to pull yourself out and go, no, what do I really love about it? Mm-hmm. You know, and get back to the heart of it. And I think it's important if you're going to do this to give yourself an opportunity to do it without having to worry about that money, mm-hmm. you know, and that means you have to make certain choices in your life. Your life has to look a certain way. And I'm going to be honest with you. I created a life where I could live off about $1,000 a month. Everything included. Nice. And that's how I was able to really think about and create something that was going to be an extension of who I am and what I love and what I could go and talk about every day. Mm-hmm. And not having to be reliant so heavily on making X amount of dollars just frees you up. It gives you everything that you've always wanted, time, energy, relationships, and yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. I'm in a mastermind group, and it's um, Freelance to Freedom, mm-hmm. and he was a journalist, and he was a professional sports photographer, but he's, you know, the platform is creating a life of freedom, mm-hmm. uh, which starts with the financial part of it, you know, like, because if you're strapped with money, you really lose a lot of well, I really want to go do I want to travel. I want to see the world. Well, I can't. I have. No, I'm not saying do that forever. Yeah. But right. while you're getting started, while you're like exploring and trying it out. I mean, I felt like I was like pivoting my model for my business like every mm-hmm. three to six months because I would go one way and I'm like, I don't really like that. And then I would go another way. And I'm like, that's better. Or I would be offering this product or this service. And I was like, mm, I'm going to change that. And I have been slowly tweaking. I've been self-employed for the last three years. But I've been making art for the last 12 mm-hmm. And for a period of that time before, I was self-employed as well, but then got recruited for for a corporation for a big, big, big girl job. Okay. So I took it because I I felt like God was leading me Mm -hmm. to be there. And so I did that for a year, got laid off, and had the opportunity to choose, do I go back and work for someone else or do I build a business? Mm -hmm. And so I just prayed about it, and God was leading me to build my business and so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. And it was not easy. I mean, there were a lot of months I didn't know how I was going to pay for this, this, and that. And I struggled. And I sold everything I owned just to, like, meet the demands of the bills coming in. Mm-hmm. Even though they weren't very big, they were still there. They add up, right. And uh, But it gave me the freedom to um, really learn and lean into my gifts in a way that I wouldn't have been given that opportunity had I locked myself into a business that I had to just mm-hmm. operate. And, um, yeah, I'm yeah. so glad I did that. Well, and I, I, like I'm, as you're talking about just experiences of trying this and the leading and stuff, I just, I come back to going, you know, I think that's the, the moment we are thankful for God's grace in that he keeps pushing us to move forward, you know, and sometimes we, go over here and we get something we experience out of it. But then thankfully we're able to get back kind of on track, you know, but mm-hmm. we, we pull different stuff out. Like when I sold commercial trucks, I didn't like selling trucks, but for a year I got to fly out. Like I went to Portland three weekends in a row and got to drive back cross country. Loved it. Like that was the best part of it. And being able to experience cruising through the Rockies all mm-hmm. by myself was just awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, but if it wasn't for that job, you know, I would not have had that experience. You know? Yeah. You just never know why you are in certain situations. And like, 
I can remember I was um, in this job and I didn't like it. And it was a struggle every single day for me to have a positive attitude and to have peace to be there. And God was just like, look, if you're not, if you can't be happy here, I'm not going to like move you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's something you need to learn. That's true. And so I was like, all right. So I did, I learned to be happy in a place I didn't enjoy. And so I found my own inner happiness mm-hmm. and that can't be taken away no matter where you are. And then shortly after that, I, you know, went to a different job. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I took that lesson. I take that lesson with me everywhere I go. It may not be the best situation. It may not be exactly where you want to be, but what are you there to learn? Because I've learned mm-hmm. that the sooner I learn the lesson, the sooner I get to the next step. All right, all right. I like that. I like that. All right, so I know you are big on being transparent and mm-hmm. sharing your story to help others. Tell me the importance of that and share some of the story that really has shaped who you are today. Oh, my gosh. There's so much to my life. It feels like that is a hard question to answer and just a, and just like a one sentence or a little conversation. Oh, you can answer it more than one sentence. Okay. I'm a survivor of trauma, and I believe that trauma is something that we all need to know more about because every single day people are going through situations that are leaving impacts on the brain um, from that trauma. And the more we're able to have a conversation about trauma and how it impacts us and our mental health, I think that we're going to have so much more compassion for one another because trauma is is rampant. And it could be a car wreck. It could be a death in the family. It could be um, some kind of violent act. I mean, there's there's all different types of trauma, so we can't just like say it's this one thing or this one thing. If it impacts you in a way it, that changes your brain forever, well, not forever, because we can we can remold mm-hmm. them and rewire mm-hmm. them, um, and 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 help them grow into like healthier um, ways of functioning. I like to talk about how I recovered from trauma using art, mm-hmm. recovered from trauma from finding belonging in my community, recovered from trauma from expressing everything that was in me so that I could get it out of me. I um, tell my story about recovering from trauma and what I learned, what works, things to try, because it, it doesn't mean just go to a therapist. It doesn't mean just take a pill. You know, there's so many ways that we can approach healing from trauma that I believe, you know, we can help so many people to see all of the cho- all of the choices that are out there mm-hmm. from, you know, creating art or participating in music or getting involved in something or just writing what's going on like for me the safest thing that and that's the whole thing you have to create a safe environment for yourself so the safest Mm. way for me was to write because that was just between me and my journal and I would write every single day and then from there I would maybe like feel more comfortable like sharing that with a friend and then sharing it with a group of people Mm -hmm. and so I was getting it out of me because and the way that my therapist explained it to me is like you know, if you have something in you and you stuff it, it's going to it's gonna go bad eventually. It's going to, like, mm-hmm. expire, like something in the fridge. Mm-hmm. So the sooner you get it out, the better. Because it's going to come out one way or the other. Right. It could come out in anger. It could come out in a lot of different ways. And you can behave in a lot of different ways that are surprising to even you when it's happening. 
And so how do we avoid those types of situations by being mindful of how to get that out of us before it becomes toxic? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Toxic people are just hurting people mm-hmm. who haven't been loved, who haven't been heard, who haven't been honest with themselves about what's really going on. This last year, I've, I've been on a journey and kind of talking about those different personalities or gifts. Um, and I had a conversation with this guy this morning in working through some stuff. And I was like, yeah, I said, it's it's been a journey and it's nuggets from being open and transparent with this guy. And just, you know, one being willing to say, hey, all right, so I have this struggle. Why? Why do you think it is? And I mean, he could just say one thing and I'm like, oh, man. And then you go back, I go back home and reflect on that, huh? Love, trust, different things, you know, which opens up your mind, you know, to just, I think, then explore kind of what are different avenues of healing, you know? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. And it's, I'm, I'm lightly talking about it, obviously, but yeah, it's, uh, it's very, can be very impactful. It's very personal Mm -hmm. and people like to keep personal things close which means they don't share with anybody else. But if you want to take something that's um, hurting you then and heal it, you have to sort of like take that leap of faith to bring it away from you mm-hmm. and expose it. Yep. You can do that in safe environments with friends or with therapists or, you know, small groups or whatever. You know, but always ask yourself, how does this feel? Does this feel safe? Because if it doesn't feel safe, then it's not going to, it's not going to help you heal. Yeah. And if, if, if even within a household, if there's not a safe environment there to be able to express different traumas that we individually go through, that is not a good, good environment, you know? And that's what I love about the creative group is because we, every month we create a safe space for people to share why they're making art what's inspiring them and usually it's because they went through something difficult and they're wanting to express themselves and they've gone through this this or that and now they're doing this and or they overcome some health challenges or some personal challenges and you know I'm all about heart transformation because you know I believe that we all can live a life that feels like we're supported and happy and joyful. Like we're experiencing, you know, those types of spiritual gifts Mm -hmm. based on our willingness to believe that we can and the process it takes to get there. Right. Which can be a long process, right? Right. But I think the the source of creativity is your ability to be open and connected Mm -hmm. to yourself and others Mm -hmm. and to the world around you. If you shut that down, then you shut down that source of creativity. Yeah. Yeah, agree. All right, so how did you find yourself, your voice? How did you push aside your fears and start putting things in motion to impact others and spread the joy you found? I just always like followed God where he where he was telling me to go and what to do. Like that's that's pretty much like all I know to do because I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing now if I relied on my own abilities. So, I just I'm always open to what God has for me next. And then I just do it. Like the sooner I just do what God's telling me to do, the better. And the more obedient I am, the better. Um, Because (laughs) I love like getting like, like it's like a test almost. Mm -hmm. Like, are you willing? 
you're being called. Are you willing to answer that call? And I'm like, I'm willing. I've got nothing else to do except this right now. Because I saw what my life looked like when I was in control, when I was making decisions for myself. And it was disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. That this job didn't look like it was supposed to. This relationship didn't unfold like I had hoped it would. And so that's when I just surrendered and gave it all to God and said, please do with me what you will and I will be obedient. And that's what I've been doing. And so when he says, you need to go do this talk or you need to share this sort of information, I was like, all right, I'll do it. And I'll just believe that you'll give me everything that I have right here and now. Mm Mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I like what the guy said. Tom Ballard, he runs the organization um, Operation Underground Railroad. Uh-huh. And, uh, but he, he made a comment about going into the darkest places. Sometimes you have to go into the darkest places because people who are hurting, that's where they are. And then you got to trust that God is there with you. He'll get you out of it, you know. Yeah, I, I was I, like, I really like that, you I know, because because really, mm. a lot of times in the community and, and being there for people, it's like we got to not be lazy to go there. You know, having a conversation with the guy the other day that the marriage is, you know, on the verge of ending and, you know, just being willing to spend that hour and have those conversations and lovingly encouraging him. You know, I just thought that was a really good analogy. You know, it's true. And I attract a lot of hurting people into my life. I do. And I think that's because I'm willing to mm-hmm. be there with them in their pain. Because I understand, because I've been there. Is it pleasant? No, but we weren't created to to be comfortable all the time. Mm-hmm. That's not how we grow. Right. You yeah. know, that's not how you help someone get to their next level or to heal from what they have been going through and you just listen. You don't even have to say anything. You're just, your presence alone Mm -hmm. is powerful when you can just listen to someone Yeah. because all we want is to feel heard because acknowledging that someone is hurting, that's the beginning of healing. Just Mm -hmm. that acknowledgement alone. Gotcha. All right, so I know being an artist can be a lonely place, even in a world where it is more visible if people like what you are doing. When life is not going as planned, what advice would you give others to push through that? I would say don't bombard yourself with the idea that you have to do a lot of stuff to fix a lot of things. That's our first mistake. You can do that, but you're going to go in circles, I promise you. And you're not going to find what you're looking for. The best advice I would give is to get really still, to get really quiet, and to give yourself space to be guided. Your intuition guides you every single day. But whether or not we're like listening to it or connecting to it is another thing. Because we've created this life where there's no space for inner guidance. But that really is the best guidance. When it says, you need to slow down. You need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your energy. If you're not honoring yourself and your energy and your Mm well-being, then why would I give you any more to do or any promotions? Because right now you can't even handle your own health. Mm 
I like what our uh, one of our teaching pastors said. He said um, sometimes we get stuck, which there's different areas where we get stuck, but we get stuck in doing and not being, which yeah. kind of defines that. Like we go, okay, the next thing I got to do this. Maybe this will get me through it. Um, let's try this versus like, are you being who God's called you to be? Which takes us creating the space and sitting with him. You know. So when I was going through trauma recovery and I was redesigning my entire life, redesigning my business, the way that I lived every single day, because I knew that that was something I had to do if I was going to be sustainable long term. I wanted to create a life that made sure that I was building in time for silence, for stillness. And a lot of the work that I create and a lot of the teaching that I do, like requires me to be in that place. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, too, because a lot of people online think I'm super busy all the time. You're so busy. You're so busy. And I don't like that word. Right. Because I don't think that I'm busy because I don't feel, like, stressed out, that I'm doing too much. I feel like I have choices. And I choose to, you know, rest when I need to rest. And I choose to work when I need to work. And so if I have a, a talk coming up and I need to write it then I'll write it or I'll work on it when I feel like I'm full of energy and have a lot to pour out. But then I got to pour back in. And that's the thing. When you're in front of people and you're speaking to them and you're guiding them and you're like giving them your energy and you're giving them your all, you have to make space to fill back up. Mm -hmm. Last week I had to do a talk. Then I had to do um, a comedy routine that I had to present for my class. Well, that was a lot of me giving myself to other people that day. And the next day, I could feel it. I was exhausted. So I have a lot of things I know I can do to restore my energy again. Mm. And that means not getting on the computer and going back to work right away. Right. Giving myself that space. And when I need to get things done, I will. But it's always a balance. I think you were asking about balance earlier. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think you just have to listen to what, mm -hmm. what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Because if you were like, had no energy but you were still pushing through to work, how well do you think you're going to perform? Not very well. Right. But if you take some time away, re-energize, come back, you can knock out whatever you need to get done in probably half the time and do it much better. Mm -hmm. That's the way I see it. I'm yeah. actually saving myself time from making sure that when I do approach the work that I need to do, that I'm full and ready to go. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of businesses can learn about how to lead their employees is making sure that when they come to work, they're ready to go and they're ready to perform. But that's because they're also giving them space to step away, mm -hmm. to be creative, to have that space. Right. So they don't get burnt out. Exactly. Yeah. Burnout is a huge problem. Yeah. So I talk a lot about being burnt out and how to not, mm -hmm. how to not, how to avoid it. Take a vacation every other week. <laughs> Um, work one day a week right right that, i like that all right so i have had several conversations with people that have a struggling marriage recently what is the secret for being there for them and when to know to encourage them to push through or run from it you're asking that to a divorce lady <laughs> oh i worked so hard on my marriage i did I did everything I possibly could do, but I was married to someone who did not do any work at all. Mm -hmm. And 
I had to trust what I felt was the right thing. And that was to step away, not just for me, but for the both of us. It was like, look, Mm-hmm. This is not what either of us want. And, you know, we didn't have children, so that made it a lot easier, granted. But we were together when I was going through trauma recovery, and I believe that after I recovered from my trauma, I became a brand new person. But that brand new person wasn't someone that was the right partner for this for, for my husband at the time. Mm-hmm. So... I think when you try everything you can possibly think of to try and it still doesn't work. I mean, I know I didn't just give up. I didn't just throw my hands in there and say, yep, it's over. No, this was like years Mm -hmm. and years and years of work. And I was exhausted. Yeah. I mean, so I would say don't make any like quick decisions See if both if if both partners are willing to try, that is like a beautiful place to be. No matter how hard it is that you have to do, if you're both willing, you can make it work. Mm-hmm. But it takes two people to have a marriage. Right. And some people are checked out and they don't they don't want to see it work. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they do, but they're not willing to put forth the effort. And that's the thing. Marriages take effort and they take both people coming to the table to make it work. Yeah, and I'll add it. It it takes a lot to create your space, to look at yourself, to to see that, okay, wow, this is what I'm not bringing to the table or this is what I'm bringing to the table. You know, um, I was talking to a guy the other day and in that it was like, hey, I'm doing everything I can you know, to love her. And, but later on in the conversation, he said a couple of things that I'm like, what's her love language. And he had mentioned that she had mentioned something and she was wanting praise. So I'm like, well, there's an area right there. You're, you, you think you are, but you're not, you know? And, uh, and then another conversation I had with a couple, it's like the wife's seeking counseling and the husband's like, well, let's just let you go and see if you can get fixed when, when, I'm like, dude, like you're so lost, but you're lost because you don't, you're not taking the time to look at yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it is so important to pull back from life and just reflect, ask the question, you know, and be willing, like you said, to be transparent because if you're not, nobody's actually going to be there to give you that advice or encouragement because you're just not open, you know? And I think for a long time I was avoiding divorce because of my faith mm-hmm. and I mean I stood up in front of the whole church and apologized how my trauma impacts my relationships in a negative way asking for forgiveness for anyone that I hurt while I was in trauma or recovering from trauma because you act out in ways that are unpredictable but I was able to bring myself and humble myself to that place but it didn't heal mm-hmm. my marriage because of that. And it was like, I was doing everything I possibly could do and it just would not work. And now my pastor, you know, he speaks a lot about um, marriages and divorce and everything. And it has made me feel so much better because I've learned, you know, what is love mm-hmm. from a husband? And I wasn't getting that. 
Yeah, that First Corinthians 13, that's a lot. <laughs> a lot of action, right? Love is patient, love is kind, love is that. You know, yeah. And then it was, have you read um, Love Does by Bob Goff? No. Oh, it's awesome. You're talking about like love and action? He's great. You should definitely check that out. But in, in like I love his stuff. I love what he's doing, making an impact. And then I'm like, man, why do I, why do I love him so much? Because he has what I want, which is that authentic love from what you see. But I believe what, what we see is real in him, you know? And then, uh, somebody pointed out second Peter one, two through 13. And it was basically talks about the journey from faith to love. And there's like seven steps in there. I'm like, Oh, I got the knowledge part, but I'm kind of getting stuck there. Spin out, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of eye opening going, Oh wow. You know, like I want this, but I still have, I only have this or a lot of it, you know, um, it's was eye opening, you know, I think a lot of it was just taking responsibility for your mm -hmm. stuff. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Taking responsibility for wherever you are. Mm hmm. And so I have noticed nature is a comfort area for you, as you've mentioned a few times. Uh -huh. How does nature help? And what advice would you give others to get away from technology and get in the presence of mother nature? God's creation. Just do it. Just do it. I mean, um, I am a bit of a radical. So, you know, I, I left where I was living. I sold all of my belongings and I moved to the lake because that's where I wanted to be. And so I actually picked up my life and moved it to the lake so that I could be next to nature. So I can go out in the woods anytime I want. It's just a short walk away from my front door. I know that it, when I get out there, I can just imagine that I am part of it. Like my energy is the same as their synergy and it's whether or not I'm connecting to it. Like I want to be one with nature, be one with the earth and have the trees leaves be my lungs and just be there. Mm. And so I, that's what I do. I go out and I'm real quiet. And I just kind of look around and listen and notice and activate my senses from what I see, what I hear, what I smell. Like the other day, I mean, every time I walk past some type of cedar tree or juniper, it just, it gives me the best feeling because mm -hmm. I just have so many happy feelings of mm -hmm. being out in central Texas where there's a lot of junipers and cedars. Yeah. And it just, the smell, like smells are amazing. Like they can transport you mm -hmm. into another state of mind. Yeah. And just getting your feet like connected to the ground is like can be powerful for me. Mm -hmm. Like one day I was having um sort of a tough day and I didn't know what to do. And the only thing I knew to do was just go get out in nature. And I took my shoes off and I just walked around in the water and and just kind of imagined all the stresses just sort of like falling off. Mhm. Mm and just allowing, just being open and allowing. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes breathing is like the best thing that you can do in a stressful situation. Right. Agreed. And it's often forgotten. Yeah. I had a really busy day yesterday. And, and of course, actually, as you can tell, I kind of have a procrastination problem at times. It's like, oh, so where are we meeting? And I'm like, oh, the pressure, where do we go? And so I had meeting after meeting, which were good, great meetings. But I was like, and I, I made a point. I'm like, breathe. And then, and I was trying to work at something. I said, I breathed a couple of times and I went up there. I said, you know what? 
Bryce, my oldest 11 year old, he came down and gave me a, a hug and a kiss. Good night. And I was like, I need to go up there and just lay and chat with him for a minute, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I paused what I was doing, went and hung out with the kids for a bit, you know? Oh yeah. Children are a great way to, for me at least to de-stress. Now I don't have children, mm-hmm. but my best friend has um, two children being with them is like, I can't help but smile. Even even though as you say that, I laugh. I'm like, I don't know if my wife would agree with that. But have but like my little guy, he's four. Um, he's he's not he does not whiny much and stuff. And like just picking him up and squeezing him and hugging him and just want to eat him. Like it's like that agrees with you know. Just like getting on the floor and being silly and laughing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am childlike in nature. And so being around children for me is really fun because I feel like I can connect with them and, co- and communicate with them mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that I can't with adults mm-hmm. because they're just not as free and open, mm-hmm. and blah, you know, and I like to get in that space. So if I need grounding, mm-hmm. I actually go hang out with the kids on the floor mm-hmm. and put on some music, cool. dance around or do a craft mm-hmm. or, um, I don't know. Sometimes that's just exactly what I need because like I have to smile when I'm around mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, actually Natalie at times she'd be like, I need to put on shoes. You need to put on shoes. Cause you know, going outside and then she read something somewhere to where it's actually there's studies that show like being barefoot is cause I'm all like, I don't care. I'm barefoot, you know? Um, so there's something with walking in nature barefoot. Yeah. Um, all right. So what advice would you give your younger self in regards to um, marriage, business, um, just life in general? I know we've said a lot. So there's a lot of advice in what you've said already. But anything else that kind of sticks out that you would pass on to your Let's younger say stop self? Stop worrying so much about everything. Quit trying to make everything perfect. Life is not perfect. Mm-hmm. and just try to grow out of every situation that you come across. Um, try to respond from a place of love. Always speak from a place of love. And if you're not, ask yourself why. And uh, no one's perfect. It's just have as much grace and love for yourself as God has for you, mm-hmm. and then extend that same grace and love to others. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I worried a lot about everything mm. all the time. When you finally I was like let go. like a professional worrier. Which is I think there's many, many people that do that. Yeah. When you do that to your brain, you're like leaving a physical imprint on your mm. brain. And that's why ruminating thoughts start to happen. Mm-hmm. When I used to have ruminating thoughts all the time and they would drive me crazy. I didn't know how to stop. Until I was watch, I watched like 10 TED Talks about the brain. Mm-hmm. And then I was like connecting the dots between all the different TED Talks I watched. And I thought to myself, the only way to get out of a ruminating thought is to get into your body. Mm-hmm. And that means breathing. That means walking. That means dancing. There's a lot of ways that we can get into our body. And that's the only way you can like actually shift out of a place in your brain into another place. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. And when I realized that, I felt free from those thoughts because I had a solution. Get into the body. Get into the body. Whatever that looked like for me, wherever I was. And if that was breathing, that was breathing. But have like a physical awareness of yourself. Mm -hmm. 
that's when I realized how important it was to be connected to yourself and in like a present moment way. Mm-hmm. That's what they mean to be present. Like if we're not like connected to our physical space and being and surroundings and like the now, the mm-hmm. best way to do that is by activating your senses. So in my talks, I do these um, exercises where like, what do you see? What do you hear? Like if you're just like panicky and you don't know what to do, just like breathe and start to look around and just, I see a tree and just start so small. Like I hear this or I smell that. And you start activating your senses and that really just gets you right into mm-hmm. the present. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. A lot of great mindset stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, from the great words of Paul and Timothy four, seven, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith when your journey's over. What legacy are you hoping to leave? Wow. Should have given that question to me beforehand. (laughs) (laughs) I think I just want people to believe that, that we're all creators. We, and when we create, we're actually helping our brains function better in healthier ways. And if we have healthier individual selves and we have healthier communities because it all starts with the individual and the thing is though like you tell people to believe in whatever their their intuition is guiding them towards but then we come up with excuses and so like how do you let those excuses go and actually like trust that what it is that you want and want to do is real so if i wanted to leave a legacy i guess it's just that we're gonna you know, have healthier communities all over the world because mm-hmm. people are going to be um, creating and making art and um, sharing it and expressing themselves. Like we need to be okay with being who we are mm-hmm. and expressing it. Mm-hmm. But there's so much pressure to be a certain way. And what I've noticed is the generation um, behind me, they're really struggling with this mm-hmm. because they've grown up in a world where we can perfectly curate every photo of us, everything that we say, and we are behind a screen because we're safe there. But in person, we're not able to like be fully expressive or be who we are because that means we have to do it in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's not something we're used to practicing. Mm -hmm. And so we got to get away from feeling like we have to look and act a certain way. Like I was listening to something yesterday and it was, um, how much our reputation matters. Yeah. And it does because we build our reputation online. We show people what we want to show them online. And it most of the time is, is, um, a facade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's even more of the reason why it's like, don't have two lives be who you are online or in person. It makes it a lot easier, right? Yeah. Because when you're living two different lives, Mm-hmm. You're going to feel that tension from the separation between the two. Right. So like as much I like to explain t- the way we feel tension is the space, the further the space is between who we are and what we're showing people mm-hmm. is the more anxiety and the more tension mm-hmm. that we're feeling. Yeah. That's... So if we just close the gap, then we're going to feel a lot less tension. Mm-hmm. And so whatever it is that you want, that's why it's important to go after it. Because otherwise, you're just going to continue to feel that anxiety and tension. Because you're going further away from who you are. Right. And so when I was able to close that gap, it was awesome. 
Yeah, I love that. That's so true. <laughs> um, all right, so now we're done with the tough questions. Now a quick um, real estate minute or few. Um, how long have you lived in Nashville? I've lived in Nashville since 2007. So what made you choose Nashville? I It was a fun, creative southern city, and I play guitar and write music and sing, and so I wanted to be part of the songwriter community. Okay. Which Austin has the same thing, right? What I hear? Um, I wasn't or involved similar. in it then. Okay. Because I was in sort of a college bubble. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you made a good choice. And I wasn't an emo band type. Right. Like, I wasn't that, wasn't my jam, so. Gotcha. And when I moved here, though, I realized that I wasn't creating work to pitch to publishers. Like, that was never my goal. I just wanted to be expressive who I was, and that maybe, you know, wasn't a country hit, mm -hmm. but uh, it felt good that I was, you know, performing yeah. and uh, expressing, you know, things that were going on inside me. Yeah. So what community did you land in and why did you choose that location? Well, I've lived in Green Hills and I've lived in Jolton and I've lived in Donaldson. Okay. And so Green Hills was um, area two, which, you know, was one of the better looking areas of town. It was clean and it was really nice and uh, I could still afford it back then. I actually moved to Jolton for my ex-husband because he's from the country and he wanted to live out in the country. So I was doing that trying to help our marriage. So we lived out there for a couple years. And then when we divorced, I moved to Donaldson to live next to my best friend and her family. So I live in the same subdivision as my best friend and her family so that I could be around my family. They were mm -hmm. like my Tennessee family. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And they live at the lake, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. So. And you like Donaldson. Yeah. I do like Donaldson. So tell me a great memory that you often share about Nashville. There's so many great memories. Gosh. Um, recently, though, with all the new hotels and rooftop um, mm -hmm. I know places they're all over to go, the place. I, uh, I took my parents on a rooftop tour okay. one afternoon on a beautiful day when they were visiting. And we went and visited all the new hotels and all the rooftops mm. and were able to see different vantage points of the city and uh, that was a lot of fun, just taking pictures and getting to explore from a, you know, yeah, new perspective. And then we took the green, the green bus over to the Gulch, and then we did the over there. And so it's so cool because when you're downtown on a roof, it's different than when you're in the Gulch on a roof. Mm -hmm. And so um, they just love that. We had more fun that day. That's cool. I didn't know. So they have rooftop tours. Well, no, I, or you just did it's it. Me personally. Hey, maybe that's something to do, right? Uh, <laughs> that's a, I like that though. Because there's a, like an arts district over here mm -hmm. between Fifth Avenue and First. You got right. the 21C, and you've got you know the galleries on Fifth, and then the new hotels in between. And um, I have work in the Noel, and so I wanted to bring them there. And so we uh, we had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ride one of the scooters, the birds? I will never do that, no. <laughs> Did you see that video floating around where that person, like, bit it big time? No, I haven't oh, seen gosh, that video. That's hilarious. All right, so what do you look, uh, what advice <laughs> would you give to uh, look for in a good real estate agent? Well, you know, I used to be in real estate. Did you? I did not know that. Awesome. Yeah. Were I, you a realtor? I was in real, no. Okay. But I worked with realtors. Okay, so you saw a lot. 
I saw a lot of the behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I did um, marketing, advertising, contract okay. to close. Oh. I did that for six years when I first moved here. Nice. So I'm like, I was deep oh. into real estate. Well, and actually it was kind of tanking a little bit, 07 to whenever, right? Because you came in in 07. Yeah, it was 07 to 2013, 14 okay. that I was doing it. And I worked for a company that I managed over 50 agents, um, properties and marketing materials and assets. Mm -hmm. And then I started working for um, an individual agent running their business, everything, contract, I mean, okay. I did everything. And then I went and did marketing for a builder. And so I've worked um, in a lot of different areas of real estate. And yeah. I've never bought a home myself, but... I think that what makes a good real estate agent is someone who um, listens, who brings um, creative ideas to the table for their clients, sort of or unexpected ideas because they know the market, right? So you got to use that expertise to your advantage. But then the I think the hardest part of the whole real estate process, I mean, now I know like, you know, finding a home and getting um, a contract going is difficult because mm -hmm. there's so many people looking um, and giving offers on mm -hmm. properties so quickly. It's so actually slowed down a bit. It's slowed down. Yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah. But the contract to close period, the 30 days between when you have the con the offer accepted mm -hmm. and then the closing um, are, are critical. Mm -hmm. And you need someone who can navigate that really well, right. who is really good at communicating and walking you through what to expect in the process. Mm -hmm. Because you're not hundred percent sure like well when's the appraisal or when's the inspection or when is this happening or why is the closing push date and then the loan and the mortgage and all that stuff can all get wonky in that mm. time period and I think it's good to know ahead of time like what to expect oh, overly communicate yeah mm -hmm. and um, especially when it comes to the inspection mm -hmm. and trying to do like a counter offer on once you get those results back knowing exactly how to navigate that is really good because um, I would see, you know, an experience, how an experienced agent would handle that and how someone with mm. maybe not so much experience would handle it. And I would definitely want to trust someone who had more experience, especially in any agent who knows like how like the foundation of a home is built mm -hmm. and the most important parts, mm -hmm. because aesthetically things can change, but you got to know about the slab and the roof and the mm -hmm. gutters and everything like that. See how I know way too oh, much yeah, about you know, real I'm estate. Like, you know, you got that answer. Yeah, no, that's good. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. The difference is when you got an experience. Hey, let's ask. Let's ask for seventy five repairs. Really, you want to ask for that many repairs? I don't think you need that many. Anyways, yeah. All right, cool, awesome, great advice. Um, that's a lot. Of, I could be an agent. You could. Well, yeah. I mean, you did it. You've done it all. And you know, you can go get licensed in like six weeks. All right. Well. So that's all we got. Um, thank you so much for your time. Tell the audience where they can connect with you. You can find me at uh, BethEnglish.com. You'll have more information about my artwork and my talks um, that I do and how to hire me as a speaker at your next event. And there's lots of videos and examples of the things that I'm doing. And you can actually buy my artwork online on that same website. And um, I'm on social media as well, mostly on Facebook, but um, I'm on Instagram too. I would love to hear from you. If, if I said something today that resonated with you, that you felt like sort of a, a, a shift in your 
in your state of mind or your heart or whatever that is, like if you felt that, please reach out to me. Go to my website, send me an email. All that information is there. I would love to talk with you about, you know, how I was able to reach you today because I think that those interactions are meaningful. It could be leading you to your next step. Mm -hmm. I know that we're all thinking about how do we grow? What do we need to do next? It's always about the next thing. You know, being present is really important now. But I think we're always wondering about where we're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would love to talk to you about that. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And now that you're done with the interview, people listening, like hit replay and then listen to it again because there was a lot of great content in there. Definitely. All right. Pull some quotes out. Yeah. Tweet definitely. me. <laughs> I walked away from that conversation with Beth with some new insight. Love the piece on um, anxiety, the the gap between reality and what social media portrays you as creates and can create a lot of anxiety in your life. I love that piece and a lot of other great stuff she had said about being a part of community and just how we are designed to be in community um, and just how important it is throughout our life to be involved with others, helping others and giving back. Um, So that was a, that was a great interview. I uh, really enjoyed that. The sponsors for the podcast are the one and only me, Andrew Buckwalter, with Buckwalter Impact Group of Benchmark Realty. If you have any real estate needs in Nashville, if you're looking to buy or sell or looking for investment properties, make sure to give me a shout. I love doing the podcast. I love meeting new people. I love sharing the stories and sharing what others are doing in Nashville. But first of all, I love real estate. So I am here to help you. If you have any lender needs, make sure to give Brandon Hutchison a shout with Legacy Mutual. And if you are in need of a good title, David Weber with Limestone Title and Escrow would love to have your business. Make sure to check out the show notes for more details on Beth and how you can connect with her. And if um, you would think you'd be a great fit for the community online and local, uh, make sure to reach out to her. You can find her in the show notes. And um, she's got a lot of stuff on her website about speaking engagements and how you can um, hire her for your next, uh, next event. Thanks again. This is an original song entitled Today. One day is all I used to know And someday is where I wanted to go But today is what I'm living for Not one day not someday today one day i'd find happiness and someday is when i'd clean up my mess but today is the day to start not one day not someday today 
Today there are colors for me to see. There are places I want to be. There are people I want to know. There are things I need to let go. Not one day, not someday, today. Well, I don't want to miss what life has in store And I don't want to watch it pass by anymore And I don't want to wait for one day or someday I want to live my life before it's too late Not one day, not someday, today Not one day, not someday, today One day I'd be set free and someday I'd just be me But today is the day to start Not one day, not someday, today Today there are colors for me to see There are places I want to be There are people I want to know There are things need to let go not one day not someday today not one day not someday today not one day not someday today We hope you've enjoyed listening to Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter. We encourage you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. To be a guest on the show or to share your thoughts, send us an email to podcast at andrewbuckwalter.com. Until next time, 